welcome to each of you to this time of opening God's Word and hearing from Him. Thank you for the your prayers that you've already prayed for this message. His Word might be preached in power as it ought to be preached. Well, I changed directions yesterday as I was going to go back to Psalm 51 where we had started, but I, I, I felt led to go to Hebrews 11 this morning. So open your Bibles with me this morning to Hebrews 11. We want to look at verses 8 through 16. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. And one more time, if I could ask the congregation to stand while we read, we read the, the text. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in a land, in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Truly, if they had called to mind that, which, that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning we ask for your spirit to do work that we cannot do, and that is open our hearts and give our minds, Lord, the ability to grasp, to think, and to apply this truth. We ask for your help, and Lord, we ask for your grace to speak only that which you would have us to say, that your word may be clear and and true, and that we may be able to glorify you in all things. And that's what we, we ask, Lord, is that you receive all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, I went to a funeral yesterday. Bro uh, Brother Jesse's grandmother had passed away and went to a funeral. And there's nothing like being in a funeral or in a place where you remember those who have passed on. And so the title of this message this morning is The Legacy That Faith Leaves. The Legacy That Faith Leaves. And for you children, that word legacy is something that, that gets handed down to you. If, if when you grow up and your dad gets old and he passes on and he has a farm, he may give you part of the farm. That's part of the legacy he gave you. Um part of the inheritance. It's what you leave to those who are behind. That's the context of this passage, and I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, <clears throat> and I want us to note the legacy that faith left behind. A legacy of faith. We cannot, I want to say right up front, there is no way that we can pass something down to our children 
and guarantee their salvation unless God works in them to do so. It is the power of the gospel that changes men's lives and women's lives. But friend, it's the Holy Spirit that applies this to each individual person and brings faith to the heart. And unless there's a work that is done individually, one individual at a time, there's no salvation. We can institutionalize the gospel. We can put it into a unified practice of, of certain things. We can, we can call upon the best and the most trusted teachers to, to tell us everything. And we'll be no better than the Pharisees and the scribes were in Jesus' day when the gospel was lived right in front of their very eyes and they refused to receive it. So let us remember that we, we are called one at a time into the kingdom of God. The church is the throng, the, the many that have been called to the kingdom of God, but they were called one person at a time. So we want to look today, first of all, at the call of God. And I want to say that you will not leave to your children an understanding of, of godliness unless there's been a call of God upon your life. For every child of God is called, and they're called from a life of sin. They're called from a place of having dwelt and been born in sin. In fact, David said, I was born in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So this morning, as we, as we look at this truth, we hold Abraham up because we recognize that there was a faithful obedience that came out of his life, but let's note that it didn't start there. That's not where Abraham started. The call of God upon a person's life for salvation is a fetching call. It's a getting call. It's a call that summons people to come to him. And you can hear the gospel with these ears, and you can refuse it from hearing it with these ears. But I'm talking about the call that enters the heart. When the Holy Spirit convicts the soul and brings him to a place where there's no more power to resist him. At that point, at that time, God fetches the soul and brings him to repentance. And he chooses to come to Christ for his salvation. He's made a child of God. But that, that's, that work is a work that's predicated upon God awakening the soul and, cleansing, and, and doing a cleansing work in the heart. Abraham here, though he left quite a legacy, we find him, if you will hold your place here, we're going to turn back to Joshua 22, 24. In Joshua 24, verses 2 to 3, we, uh, we want to understand where Abraham came from. Because Abraham didn't start as a patriarch or as a child of God. In Joshua 24, and in verse 2, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So we understand there, Abraham came from a lineage of idol worshipers. They served other gods. So God calls to a man who is not paying attention to him, who's not hearing his word, and he brings him to himself. And he said, Abraham, I want you to go with me 
into a land that I will show you. And because of this, God effectively changed Abraham's family tree. Abraham's family is not known to be the idol worshipers, although his descendants, some of them went back to idols. But Abraham's family became the place where God met with his people. They became the place where God gave his covenants. They became the place where God fulfilled his promises. They became the place where they were the example to the whole world. of What it looks like for God to walk in their midst. So much so that kings that were greater and larger than them in number trembled when you talk about Israel. We have a group of people here this morning. Your life is living, is being lived right now in a finite world, in a time, and in a finite amount of time. As you look at a gravestone, you have a birth date, you have a death date, you have a dash that is between. Every one of us today, we're in that dash. One of the things we might ask ourselves is, how am I living my dash? How am I living my life? There's going to be a time, we have a birth date, there's going to be a time when we're going to be put in the grave as well, unless the Lord returns. And God has designed it that we think about our time. He's designed it that we think about what we're going to do with our lives. Some of you are young here today. And this is, this is something you must consider. You can't play around with sin now in your life and expect that you'll leave a legacy to the honor and glory of God. You can't live for yourself and expect that your sons and daughters and grandchildren are going to see the truth of God in you. They'll see how not to live. And so I call you this morning to think. Think with me. As Abraham was in the land Ur of the Chaldees, it was much in their day like United States is in our day. It was the best place to live. It was a place where wealth was abundant. One of my children's history lessons years ago, the history teacher said our, our uh, archaeological diggings have found that Ur of the Chaldees had running water in their houses. They had flushing toilets. They had many things. They don't even understand what they were digging up, but it was a very modern, very very wealthy, very very affluent society, and that's where Abraham was. But Abraham was there having everything on the outside. He had everything this world had to offer him. But he's lost. He will meet an eternity without God unless God intervenes. And so we find God coming to Abraham. Let's turn to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, we have the record of God taking Abraham out of the land of Ur and and bringing him into his promised inheritance in Genesis 12 reads this way now the Lord said to Abram get out of your country from your family and from your father's house and I will show you to a land I'm sorry let me read that again get out of your country from your family And from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. We notice that God comes to him and he says, I want you to leave all this that you have for you're settled here, you're, you're rooted in, These are where, this is where your family is, but I want you to leave and follow me. And for all of us, friends, there's a certain amount of, though we never may never physically leave the place where we were born, unless we leave all for Christ, we don't have Christ. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. And he said, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. What's Jesus saying? He says, unless, if you want to follow me, unless... And that's a, that's a term that means <clears throat> it's not a maybe, it's not a might, it's, it's, it's a term of, of an impossibility. Without this, you cannot do the other. Without leaving your life here, you cannot gain life eternal. Without forsaking your loyalty to what is comfortable to you, to your flesh, to follow Jesus Christ cannot have be a follower of him the word is not you may not the word is you cannot you know the difference between can and may right can is a word of, of possibility may is a word of permission jesus is not saying i'm not going to permit it he says it's an impossibility listen jesus knows how to put camels through eyes of needles and if he says it's an impossibility it's an impossibility somehow we like to take what he says is impossible and make it somewhat palatable. We want to have our cake here and eat it too. But unless you're willing, my friends, to lay all down for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find yourself faithless as you stand before Him. Your faith may have been in good things, and you may have had all the right words to say, and you may have had all the right things to do. You'll stand before him empty. Christ will not stand before you in that day. Because you have chosen not to lay yourself down for him. As we look at this passage, I want us to note that he said, he, God deliberately says, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. And he says, I'm going to show you where you go. He doesn't even tell him where he's going to go. The true faith, true faith today is misunderstood. Faith is, is, is held today more like a wish or more like a, a, a good idea. But saving faith has been historically bound up in three things number one you must have information there must be a certain amount of understanding that you have this thing of a blind leap of faith was not something abram did here by the way this what we call blind leap of faith might be more like stupidity like what the devil told jesus to do to throw himself off of the temple and the angels will catch him it's not that God couldn't. Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Faith is knowing who God is. It's knowing the things about him that are true. It's knowing his character. It's knowing what we're doing when we take a step of faith. Number two, it is an agreement with the truth of God and the truth about him. It's saying yes. 
It's saying yes. It's Abraham had Abraham came to a place where he understood the truth of God, and as God called him, he said yes. You see, if at this point this is all you have, friends, the demons believe and tremble. They know what the gospel says. And you qualified yourself to be no more than a devil. Because if you know the truth, and you can say, yes, it's true, but I'm not going to trust in it, you have the theology that Satan has. Satan knows he has but a short time. He knows that there are things that are going to happen that God is going to judge him. But does he, does he trust God and love him? Absolutely not. And that's the third one. Your faith must include a trust and love for God. Number one, information about him. Number two, an assent to yes, saying yes to the truth. And number three, you must put your trust in him. You must believe him. It's a little bit like the man who walked across the Niagara Falls on a tight rope and he pushed a wheelbarrow load of bricks across the, there and he literally went out there and, and uh, cooked a breakfast in the wheelbarrow and ate the breakfast and then came back to the crowd and he said, does anybody believe that I could put somebody in here and push them across safely? And everybody said, yeah, we believe you could do that. He said, who wants to get in? The wheelbarrow. And so their faith was being put to the test. Their belief was being put to the test. I just want you to know that God, when he calls us to do something, he calls us to trust his ability. It's not going to be something stupid like walking a wire, though it may include danger. But it's going to be something for his glory. And he's going to call us to lay everything down for his sake. What Abraham did here looked ridiculous. Why would you leave what you're doing and squander your wealth in a desert for the rest of your life? Living in tents. The issue was he knew who God was. And he said yes to God. And he said, I'm going to, I love God and I trust him. I'm going to follow, I'll follow him wherever he takes me. He'll never lead me the wrong way. Our problem is we don't believe what God says. Sometimes we don't even know what God says. Our eyes are blind to the truth. And it's until we get our eyes open, friends, to what God says, that we can actually see He does what He says. And not one word has fallen from His lips that has not come true. Or will come true. I want to ask you, have you forsaken everything to follow Jesus? Is your life completely surrendered to him this morning? Have you received such a call from God that he causes you to lay down your sin and repent of it and follow him wherever he will lead? When you come to Christ, you come with a blank check of your life. He is Lord, and He is King, and He can do with your life as He wills. We have to deem Him that good. We have to trust Him to be that right. Never should we trust a man. Never should we put our confidence in a system of men. This world will not give you the confidence that you will have eternal salvation by putting your trust in them. But our God is a God who delivers souls from death and gives them everlasting life. And this is why we trust Him. He's proven it. If you, if you say you follow Jesus... I want to ask you, are you following him like this? Are you following him like this? 
is everything that you have on the altar for him? Would you lay it all down if he asked you to lay it all down? Would you sell all that you have to give to the poor, as he told the rich man? And come follow me. Would you be willing to do that? Are you okay with that? Not saying God's doing that in your life. I'm saying if he asked you that, would you be okay with it? If you're not, something's wrong. And I think you need to ask yourself enough questions to the, that you get to the point where you understand, am I a child of God or am I not? Do I have faith in Him or don't I? Is it really an issue that I will follow Him wherever He leads or will I go my own way? Friends, unless we answer that question, we will never know what it is that He wants from us. And we'll never leave a legacy of righteousness. You see, we're not leaving a legacy for us. We're not leaving a legacy for our children. Ultimately, we're leaving a legacy for God because it's for His glory. And if it, can't, if it does not bring glory to God, then my friend, we ought not to be involved in it. Number two, let's look a little further here. So, he, when he was called, he obeyed. And number two is a faith that obeys God. A faith that obeys God. He was called to go out to receive an inheritance in a place, as verse 8 says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Just because God hid from him where he was going doesn't mean that God didn't have big plans for him. You know, when somebody tells you, I want you to come with me, I'm not telling you where we're going, immediately we suspicion them. Because man is not good. Man is evil in his heart. But when God says, come with me, and I'll tell you where we're going once we go. God is good and his character can always be trusted. And so therefore he calls upon us to lay it all down. So that he may have us for himself. Genesis 22, 2 and 3. He simply says this. Genesis 22, verses 2 and 3, God's calling Abraham and he's telling him, I want you to go again. I want you to go to the land of Moriah. Verse 2, he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on, the, on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham got it together next week. He decided he would do that next month. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Abraham lived this kind of obedience. The hardest thing anybody could ask of a father to take their son and to burn him as a sacrifice Abraham rose up early the next morning, knowing that God would probably raise him from the dead, he said. He trusted God so much that he knew that if he gave his son to God, God would give him back. Brothers and sisters, do you trust God that much? Is that how you obey God? Is that how I obey God? It's one thing, it's one thing, my friends, to, to say that we love him and we want to do the things he asks of us. It's another thing to do it when he asks us immediately. Prompt obedience, friends, is a mark of genuine faith. James, James 2, he says, 
If, if a man say he has faith and does not have works, can that faith save him? And he goes on to say that if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but notwithstanding you give him not those things which are needful to the body. What has it profited him? What has that faith profited you? He says, you cannot, can you not see that Abraham was justified by works when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? What was he saying? He's saying Abraham's faith was justified by his obedience to God. Abraham proved that he had true faith when he obeyed God immediately. My friends, that's the obedience he calls us to. And it's hard. I won't say, I won't sugarcoat this for a minute and tell you that I've got it all figured out. I don't. I struggle with it in my own life. But it's the thing where I must come to, to full repentance before God and say, it's yours, Lord, and I'll do what, I, what you ask me to do. Faith here is more than a dream or a wish. Faith is a conviction of the truth of God and his word that is joined to a complete trust in him and a warm love for him. That's why the first commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. Saving faith in God leads to obeying him and it's those three things that are mark the information, the agreement, and the trust that mark true faith. Now, not only is there immediate obedience, but let us note that there's implicit obedience. There's implicit obedience. What do I mean by that? Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. God says, I want you to follow me. But then he says, I'm giving you a reason to follow me. I'm going to give you an inheritance. And Abraham's inheritance was a blessing from God. Are you satisfied with a blessing from God for your inheritance? Would you put your life in the hands of Almighty God if he said, I'm going to bless you? And you forfeit everything else that you would ever get. You see, my friends, this world means too much to us. Money's got too big a hold on us. We like things the way we like them. And we want them when we want them and how we want them. God says, I want you to put that in my hand. I want you to do it the way I want you to do it. And Abraham followed. Says he went out, not knowing where he was going. And though God promised him all these things, he stayed in this country that God promised him as a foreigner his whole life. He was living beside the residents of this country as a foreigner. And God said, I'm giving this all to you. Abraham never, never wavered. He never, he, never, he never turned aside from what God said. And God gave Abraham reason. He said, I'm going to give you this inheritance. Well, not only was there implicit obedience, there was intentional obedience that covered his whole life. Notice verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. How hard is it to live in a foreign country? Maybe we should ask Simon. How hard is it to live in a country, in a place where you are not native to that country? And yet he intentionally stayed there because that's where God told him to stay. Let's notice verse 10. He intentionally obeyed God because... Verse 10 says, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He let the things of this earth go so that he could have something that God would give him. 
He said, I don't care what happens here. I want that city that is built by God. I want to be there. God said, I'm going to put you, I'm going to give you that city. Do you treasure the riches of God to be of greater value than the passing pleasures of sin for a season? I'm not saying you can't enjoy things in life. I'm just saying, are you willing to say, I will put my claim on the word of God and upon his blessing and I'll sell my life to him for that and let the rest of it burn see we hold it too dear he waited for the city of God while living as a stranger here let's notice Sarah Sarah herself also received strength by faith to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him to be faithful who promised. Sarah judged God to be faithful even when it became physically impossible for God, for what she felt God would do for her to have a son. God had promised her a son. And that he would be, he would, out of him would come many nations. Many nations would be blessed through him. And yet she believed him and never wavered at his promise. Yes, she made some bad judgments. Abraham made some bad judgments along the way. But they came back to this reality that God has a calling upon their life. I want to ask you this morning, does your faith in God this morning, what you claim is faith in God, does it compel you to obey Him? If that faith does not require you or compel you or move you to obey Him, I think you need to question whether it's genuine faith. We like to say we believe and we like to soak in all the good things and sit back and do nothing. But friends, faith that we come to Christ by faith alone. We bring no works to, to offer to Him. We come by faith alone, but the faith that comes to Christ alone never remains alone. Works follow. And if works don't follow, the faith is not there. So I want to ask you, are you haphazard with your faith in God? Have you been critical of yourself and say, do I really believe? As, as, as the apostle says, that we are to make our calling and election sure. We're to know, am I really a child of God or am I not? Is there a sense of this thing where I'm willing to, to have, for him to have his way? Or is it, well, God's going to give me something. Like the lazy boy. Dad said, I'm going to see which two of you. He had two boys. He said, well, give $5 to the laziest boy today. And they laid around all day long. And finally that night, that evening, they were, the sun was about to go down. They were laying under the shade tree. And he walks out there to him. And he says, I've got $5 I'm going to give to the laziest boy. And the first one said, okay, I'll take it. Second one rolls over and says, just put it in my pocket. And that's the attitude we have with God sometimes. Just put it in my pocket. Listen, if you have faith in Christ, you will understand that though He gives you grace and He gives you faith and He forgives your sins, He does so because He's doing a work in you and because of that work, you will be compelled to obey Him. And it will not be a forced obedience. It will be a glad obedience because you're thankful. You see, part of knowing who God is, we have to know who we are. And that there is no good thing that dwells within us by nature. And that nature is going to take us down the road to eternal death. That's why we forsake it all.
That's why he calls us to leave it all there. Everything that goes with this world is going to burn up. My friends, it's, it's time that we take a look because this world is full of people who are leaving a terrible legacy in their life. Children are growing up without one or two of their parents. And they turn around and they do the same thing in the next generation. And friends, let's not think we're, 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 we're uh, immune to that. If we don't follow Jesus, we are no better. If we won't sell out to Him, what can you expect for the next generation? You're going to live to the lust of your flesh, the next generation will do it without any fear. We're one generation from growing a group of people that are totally against God. One generation. God has no grandchildren. And that's why we are all called this morning to obey God through faith. Faith, faithful obedience, friends, comes from a fellowship with God. That scripture that Brother A.J. read this morning the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is where? It's in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He has fellowship with God. He goes, he gets up and he reads his Bible and he goes down the, down the road to work and he's chewing on what he read that morning. And he's fellowshipping with God about it. That's the man that will obey. Because God has his heart. God has got a hold of him. And friends, if we want faithful obedience, there's only one place to go. That's his word by his spirit working within. That's the only place to go. Let's move on. Thirdly, Let's notice the covenant family of faith. Beginning here, we have Abraham in verse 10 who lived waiting for the city that was fa- who's fa- which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was not a dad who was constantly hurrying about, trying to build something for himself, trying to make money, trying to this, trying to that. His heart wasn't set out there. His heart was set with God. He said, I'm going to do what I can. And all this was convicting to me. How many times have I neglected the most important work of God in my own family? Because I was too intent on paying the next month's rent. Or the next month's making that payment. I wanted to make as much money as I could because winter's coming. And work's going to be slow. Listen, nothing here, nothing here on this earth is so important that we ought to leave the things of the city of God to build the city of man. The city of man's going to burn up, friends. The city of man is temporary. Fathers, I want to ask you this morning, where's your affections? Where are your affections? A man on fire with God, for God, is a man who's on fire with love for his family. And he cares about his wife and loves his wife as Christ loved the church. He gives himself regularly for her. He's there for her. He's doing what God has done with him. Showing him love and compassion. And yet leading him in the right way. 
Well, let's notice verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who promised. Mothers, sisters, This is someone who is not afraid to trust God in every circumstances of life, in every circumstance of life. In fact, 1 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6, I'm not going to take time to turn that, says that Sarah was not afraid with any amazement or with any bewilderment or with any confusion, but she trusted God. Why did she submit to her husband who was very fallible, who did some stupid things, who put her in all kinds of bad places. Why did she still submit to that man? Because she trusted God. And, and there's not a man that, here today that's worthy of the love that his wife gives him when she submits to him and to his leadership. But there is the reality, friends, that if we're both following God, my wife helps me to be a better leader. And by God's grace, I should be helping her to follow. So I want to ask you this morning, mothers, have you put your fears for you and your family in God's hands? Because only He can take care of them and you. It's a very real thing to fear the things you can't see, the things you don't know. But I want to ask you this morning, have you laid that fear at his feet? He's the one that will do something about it. Your husband can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about my wife's fears. She can't do anything about mine. But Christ says, cast your burdens upon him. He cares for you. Like lastly, <clears throat> the children. I want us to note verse in verse nine. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Brothers and sisters, we don't have enough of this going on today. Abraham was living in a tent, and it wasn't good, it, it wasn't the, the nicest environment, and Sarah was putting up with all the things of nomad living. But the priceless procession, friends, the priceless thing was that they had time with their parents, their children and their grandchildren. It says they were dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. We have so many people today whose lives are run amok because the father's not in the home. And if he is, he's absent-minded. His mind's somewhere else. You know, would to God, fathers, that we saw this the way God sees it. Would to God that we saw what God sees in our children. Would to God that we had His promise front and center in our lives. So that when we dwell with our children, we show them who God is. Abraham taught his children. When God was going to destroy Sodom, he came and he said, Shall we tell Abraham? One of the angels, or one of the men said, Shall we tell Abraham what we plan to do? God says, I know him. I have known him so that he will command his children after me. Listen, it's in knowing God that you're able to teach your children what God is like. If you don't know God, you have no ability to teach your children. And the children, as Jesse's grandmother used to say, what the children see 
they believed. What the children see, they believe. It goes for fathers and for mothers. They watch us. And friends, they need to be watching us follow Jesus Christ. You want to hand down a legacy. Spend some time with your children and grandchildren in the Word of God. And I'm convicted there. I haven't done enough. Lastly, point five. Let's note the inheritance they receive. This is all through this passage. In verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. God told him right up front, I'm giving you an inheritance. Verse 9, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise. God said, I'm going to give this to your children. This was just his earthly promise. Let's understand that God's promise was two-tiered. Number one, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. But he says, I'm giving you a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm going to take you to the city that I have prepared for you. That's why Jesus says that I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am. There you may be also. That's the inheritance of every child of God. That we can be with him in his city. The inheritance, verses 11 and 12. Let's notice the inheritance and the promises associated with it. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky, innumerable as the sand which is by the sea, seashore. God fulfilled his promise, and she believed it before she saw it. But let us notice that the real, the inheritance that God promised to Abraham personally was a heavenly city. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Now, they, they went through all this in their lifetime, and not any of the promises God promised them personally did they receive down here. Listen, when God calls you, He doesn't give you here what He has promised you there. He gives you here what He's promised you here. But there's a promise that we must esteem to be greater than anything here. And that's what Abraham did. He lived his whole life and was thankful that he could look forward to the city whose builder and maker was God. He was thankful that God was going to give him a city that was made without the hands of men that would not perish. Notice it says a city that has foundations. And its foundations are eternal foundations because they're built by the eternal God. And so, my friends, as we look at that, we're looking here at foundations of things that are going to be destroyed. Up there, we're looking for a foundation that is eternal. And so, as we, as we think this through, friends, I want us to think about our lives here in perspective of the eternal city. It kind of changes the way things look sometimes. Verse 13, they died in faith because they lived in faith. They died in faith because they had lived in faith. Listen, they didn't, ha they didn't have a lot of wealth compared to the other families of the earth. They didn't have nice houses. But they died in faith. They lived well. God blessed them here. And they went to be in the city that is eternal. They left this earth with assurance of faith at a high level. 
not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them. The old King James says we're convinced of them, persuaded of them. There was no doubt in their minds that when they passed from this life, that there was going to be a city awaiting them that God had said he would give them. I want to ask you this morning, do, does that get you excited? It does me. Everything I do here is nothing but disappointment, disappointment, trouble. Things go down, things break, things don't turn out the way we think they should. It's not like that there. Over there, it's all right. It's all as it should be. It's perfect. Because the perfect God has built it and He lives there. So I ask you this morning. How will you leave this earth? Will you die in faith? Being assured of the promises of God. Being assured that you will receive what He has promised. They acknowledged that their status here was temporary. They declared here, people that do this, it says they declare here that this is not their home. This is not where we live. This is, this is just a temporary passing through. They lived and died believing God's promises were better and more sure than where they were now and where they had come from. It says that if they had taken it to mind, they could have gone back. And if you all you saw was the present situation, you'd have said, you're foolish not to go back. But that's not what they were looking at. They looked beyond this life and they said, no, no, we're not foolish. Because God has promised us that he will live with us forever. Friends, that's the inheritance that you and I have been given to have had given to us in Christ Jesus. They lived seeking a homeland. Verse 14. They lived seeking a homeland and died believing they were going to go home. They lived seeking that homeland and when they died they said we're going home. That's where we're going. Therefore, because of this, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God himself puts the approval and his approval and blessing upon that life. It's God himself that says, I claim them as my children. Those are mine. They received that approval and blessing of God because God, God's word, God's power, God's truth, was everything to them in this life. I want to ask you this morning, are you going to die well? I can't promise you anything in the future here, but will you die well? Do you know today that you will die only to be joined with God in eternity? You see, now's the time to be prepared. Today is the day of salvation. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us throw off the works of darkness. The things that are of, of this world that are useless in the kingdom of God. Let's put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Let us be faithful until our Lord comes. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you today. We recognize that we are weak in our flesh. We just ask for your strength and your grace, your spirit, to move mightily in our lives. So that faith, our faith in you, Lord, may we know is it the real thing today or have we been faking it 
Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the eternal value of the eternal promises you have given us. Father, bless this congregation this week, I pray, as they face the struggles of life, as they deal with the, the joys of life, as they handle the, the problems, give them grace, Lord. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.